Welcome to the CRISPR revolution. This is CRISPR Cuts, a podcast dedicated to the world of genome engineering. Take a break and join us as we guide conversations with an expert CRISPR cast about this cutting edge science. Hi everyone, welcome to CRISPR Cuts. I'm super excited about today's episode because today we have celebrities on our show. Our guests today are Sarah Goodwin and Elliot Kirshner. They are producers of the Human Nature movie. For those of you who don't know what this movie is about, it basically covers the journey of CRISPR. Also joining us today on this show is Kevin Holden, our head of science at Synthego. So this is going to be a great episode. Yeah, hi everyone. This is Kevin Holden. I'm, I'm joining me new today on the CRISPR Cuts podcast. So thanks for having me as well. Before we get started, Sarah and Elliot, can you just introduce yourself and give your background before you became producers of this movie? My name is Sarah Goodwin. I'm a producer and I was a science advisor on the film. My background actually is in science. I got my PhD in cell biology from UCSF and then I turned into a science communicator, joining and leading an organization, a nonprofit called iBiology, which has an initiative area called the Wonder Collaborative that produced this film. And so that's how I got involved. And Elliot really kind of led the project and brought me into it, which was great and a lot of fun. Well, thank you. And I'm Elliot Kirshner. So I came to this project after many years working in news and documentary film. Actually, I grew up around science. My father's a scientist, but I really did sort of more general reporting. But I was always interested in telling the stories of science and wanted to find ways to do those in novel and interesting ways that could challenge conventional wisdoms about what science communication could be. And so we were looking for a topic to really make a big film, to just tell an important story and do it in ways that we thought would be different and hopefully engage audiences in new ways. And so obviously CRISPR is such a huge story. It touches almost every aspect of the biomedical sciences, but also it's changing meaning for what it means for society and all that. So when we decided on this topic, we really launched full in and built a team of filmmakers and scientists to work together to make a documentary. Cool. That sounds great. So basically you kind of briefly mentioned how the idea of doing a film on CRISPR came about, but still there seems to be a lot that needs to be figured out even when you know what basic topic you're going for. So can you tell us a little bit about behind the scenes of how you decided, you know, right, like the right mix of researchers and patients and how the story would flow and not just make it like a scientific presentation, but more like a movie by itself? I think that we knew going in, we wanted to be a film and we wanted it to be a story that would appeal to a general audience. So that was the directive from the very beginning. We didn't want to make quote unquote educational video. We also wanted to make something that felt cinematic. I mean, I think there's a wonderful, rich history of science explainer television and that kind of stuff that people, when they think of science documentaries, they sort of think of like one hour television fair, often with a heavy narrator voice and that kind of thing. And we knew going in as well that we wanted to do something that would play on a big screen, that would, and we made the decision early on, we didn't want a narrator, we wanted to let the scientists speak for themselves, we wanted to film this with a cinematic scope in mind, and the musical score, all of that going in, we said, okay, we want to make a film. So that was sort of the original directive that we gave to ourselves. And once we got there, the question was, okay, 
what is a science film? There, you know, if you go to Sundance or we premiered at South by Southwest or the major film festivals, it's not like there's a lot of science programming, a lot of science documentary. And so we sort of had a lot of leeway, like what is a modern science film going to look like? But I think that's when the decision making came in about what the style would be. But as for the substance, we also knew we wanted to work with the scientific community from the very beginning to sort of develop a storyline or storylines that were true to the science, not only the facts of the science, but just the ethos of science, the idea of what is scientific discovery, how, how did serendipity and the search for knowledge and basic research play into the story? And then what are these you know, sort of more broader societal implications? So those were all the pieces coming together. But I think one of the key things we did early on was we had a meeting at Woods Hole where we brought the film team and we brought in George Church, George Daly, Jennifer Dowda, and Rolf Berenguer, who are all in their own right leaders in this field. And we just had the two days of brainstorming about what they thought the story was and where they thought the science was going. And that really sort of helped us direct the editorial. And then obviously, Sarah, being a trained scientist, being on this team from the very beginning, really helped shape that as we iterated throughout the process. And this, this film took many, many different forms over the course of its production as we tried to tease out what a, what a science documentary could be. And I'd say one thing that was really important to us from the beginning was to make sure we told the story of the discovery of CRISPR and turning CRISPR into a technology, which is a story that's not often told when CRISPR is talked about, because it's actually a fascinating basic science research story. And we really wanted to show, as Elliot said, you know, how the process of science works, how new knowledge is created. And so as a scientist, you know, I was able to really go back into the literature and I read you know, as much primary literature as I could around the CRISPR discovery and pieced it together as best I could. Also used reviews that were out there and the summit really helped a lot, but it really helped us kind of have a deep understanding of the steps that it took to really understand what CRISPR was and decide who we wanted to interview. We actually ended up interviewing more people than even made it into the film because they were an important part of the story. But, you know, at the end of the day, we wanted to have a film that was around 90 minutes and you just can't include everything that you want to. And so that was an interesting viewpoint, I guess, a kind of behind the scenes look when we were editing as to what should be in and what should be out, especially for me coming more from the science side of things. I just want to add there, it's like really vital to have Sarah's voice throughout the project. And I think that was one of the real unique elements that we, we built into the production framework in that throughout the discussions of who to interview, what to talk about, what's the balance of the film, there was this constant discussion between the filmmaking team and the science group that were just challenging our own assumptions, pushing in different ways. And I think that dynamic process really led to a film that is, it relates to scientists in a, in a way that I, it's not just about what we say, what we talk about. And I think Sarah's absolutely right. We, we try to tell the discovery story and all that being very important, but just the way the scientists are allowed to speak, the decisions we made about what to include and what not to include. I mean, this was really dictated throughout by, I think, a very nuanced understanding of how science works. And I think that that hopefully shines through for the film, that when scientists watch it, they go, yeah, they got it. They understand our world. And I think that that is, is really important to try to convey in film as this, sort of the impression of how science works, as well as the actual facts that we're trying to convey. Right. Yeah, it absolutely does shine through. I love the film myself, so... <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I just wanted to ask you guys, so um, Sarah, you mentioned some of the people that you interviewed for the film. I was just curious, do you have any particular anecdotes, like funny 
or like emotional surprising moments that came out through uh, the filmmaking process and the interviews that you can talk about? That's a great question. I mean, I'd say the first thing that comes to mind is actually what a treat it was to meet Francisco Mojica, who's an early CRISPR researcher at the University of Alicante. We got to go to Spain and meet him and be in his lab. And uh, he showed us a lot of his early sequencing gels where he found the repeats. And it was just like a very special time to be filming someone who usually isn't spoken about when CRISPR is talked about. But in general, I'd say what was a real treat for me as a scientist is a lot of the people we've interviewed, I know about their science, I've maybe heard them give a research talk, but I've never really gotten to hear them talk about kind of the more ethical societal implications of the CRISPR work. And Adam, uh, who did most of the interviewing, I think did a wonderful job really probing people and trying to get you know, their honest thoughts on something, a science discovery that is really going to have an impact in so many different ways throughout the world. And the scientists were really wonderful in sharing their thoughts with us. And I think, you know, we included a lot of that in the film. And I think it makes the film a lot richer because it shows how scientists are people too. You know, they have families and they have a lot of thoughts about how science works and technology is used. And it was really nice to be able to hear a lot of that. And then, of course, you know, getting to meet all these people is also really wonderful. I mean, someone who didn't make it into the film, unfortunately, is Paul Berg was a key researcher in recombinant DNA, which is a topic we touched on, but we were going to go in much more depth than we just couldn't uh, due to time and really trying to make the story as clear as possible. But he's just, just a wonderful person and getting to meet him was just a really special moment. I guess let me follow up on that. And maybe Ellie, you can talk to us a little bit. In the film, there's several, I guess, potential future patients of gene therapies and also people that are being treated for uh, genetic disease. What was it like interacting with them? Just watching the film, my feeling was that David really became kind of a star of the film, actually. Yeah, David Sanchez, who's a a young man who has sickle cell disease and really plays a key role throughout the film. I think think one of the things that happens oftentimes in storytelling, and I've done it myself, you sort of see it's, it's a trope of especially medical science storytelling, is that the patients are sort of, their stories are one of their own medical art. They're often very emotional, but they don't really speak to the science itself. And I think it was really important for us to get the patient's point of view, not just about the pain they're going through or their sense of what their future might be, but really to have them weigh in as voices in this discussion around gene editing. Because one of the things that came out really early from our discussion with the scientists is that, you know, we discovered this, but this is discussion that the public needs to have. And that's why I think the scientists gave so freely of their time and energy for this project, because I think they really understand that this is a societal-wide conversation. And it was really important for us, for the, for the patients and everybody else we interviewed for the film, to engage and really show that everybody needs to lend their voice to this discussion. And it's not just for the scientists to dictate what it is, and the scientists themselves don't want that to be the case. So I think David really, he's just a very smart kid, and he's very sensitive to what's going on. And I think that that agency that he has for his own point of view really speaks throughout the film, I think just expands the boundaries of what this film is, and hopefully allows others to say, you know what, my voice is also important. It's not just enough to know about it, but I want to know to be able to speak for myself, whether it's to 
my doctor, whether it's to people I know, friends and family, that this is a discussion we need to have. And, and hopefully that as people hear in the film a variety of voices speaking about this topic, that they themselves feel that, that their voice is also not only necessary, but you know, vital to where we're going. Yeah, it's great. I really felt like his story and, you know, the conversations with the doctor that treats him, Matthew Porteous, who's working on a gene and cell therapy for sickle cell at Stanford, was really a profound part of the film. On that note, another, I guess, another star of the film <laughs> turns out to be Synthigo. So I was wondering, maybe, Sarah, you can talk to us a little bit about, you reached out to me, I guess it was summer of 20, I guess it must have been 2018 now, and you reached out to us to talk about filming at Synthigo. Um, can you tell us how that came about and describe what your experience was like filming at Synthigo with us? Yeah, absolutely. So I guess one benefit of coming from the science world is I have a lot of friends who work in different science fields. And I have several friends who are working specifically on CRISPR research. And so we got to a point in the film where we really felt like we had great stories from scientists. We had bioethicists, journalists, patients, but we didn't really have kind of the the company aspect of it, like the fact that CRISPR is really coming out to the world because there are now a lot of companies that are helping to facilitate that. We wanted to kind of be able to show the scale of CRISPR, which is really hard to show in other ways. So I reached out to some of my colleagues and I asked, who makes the guide RNAs that people are using? And the universal answer was Synthigo. And fortunately, so Elliot and I are in San Francisco. Uh, Synthigo is in Redwood City, Menlo Park area. We're neighbors. And so it was very easy to kind of reach out and ask if I could just come down and have a conversation. And I met Kevin and we talked for a while and you gave me a tour of the facilities and then we kind of set up a time to come and film. And it was, I mean, it was great. It was really exciting to be able to see how, you know, to scale up synthesis of RNA, which isn't a trivial, synthesizing RNA isn't a trivial thing anyway, but then to kind of be able to see our facilities and, you know, the fact that you allowed us to film there, which I've heard was one of the first times you really were showing the world, you know, your machines and how they look and kind of the inside of your organization. And so it was really fun to see and meet the team. And it's just, you know, there's such a great vibe there. So we really enjoyed filming there. Yeah, I want to add to that, that, you know, one of the things that was always going to be a challenge for us was what do we show in this film? We use a lot of graphics, which I think are you know, very effective. But this sense of scale, this sense of industry, this sense of just innovation and you know, one of the things that I think often maybe people that don't make films don't realize is how much setup and time it takes to get a single shot, especially when you're moving around in an environment that's as dynamic as Synthigo. And so, you know, it's, it's not apparent to everybody on the outside, but certainly was to the film team was just how open you were and sort of patient you were with what was very long hours of shooting. But I think that it comes together in a, in a sequence that really all of it pays off because there's this wonderful sort of analogy with the Ford Motor Company and sort of the idea of mass industrialization and what that allows. It's provided by one person we interviewed, Hank Greeley, but it's illustrated by what Synthigo is doing. So I think that that was, you know, I just want to make you know, that a big thank you to you folks for allowing that to happen. Yeah, fantastic. Um, we, we really enjoyed uh, having you there. Yeah, it's I'll not just... easy. It's like, you know, as producers, we always... We learn to keep asking even after the answer is no. And, you know, that just sort of goes with the territory. But we were sort of, you know, really pleasantly surprised on how the answer wasn't no. And really there was just, a, a, I think, an understanding of 
from your point of view about how important it was to get this story out and to really allow people to see what's going on. It's just, it was invaluable for the, the way the film turned out. So yeah, thank was, you. It was really great to have you. And I'll just have a, just to give a quick shout out to some of the, some of the listeners, the behind the scenes people like Bobby Moon, who runs our marketing, yes. uh, digital marketing and Jake Johnson, who's our operations VP. So they were instrumental in making all that happen too. So thank you to them as well. Yeah. And then of course the scene is, so amazing. That's definitely one of the scenes that I do remember where it's it's the side-by-side comparison of Sindhago's RNA factory with, you know, the automotive assembly of stuff. So that that just is a great analogy. So I, I really love that in the film. So one of the questions that I had, and you kind of briefly mentioned a little bit before about this, but just knowing from, you know, even when I write an article, the original thing that I write and the final version that comes out seems so different even in a few days so I cannot imagine how that must be for a film so can you talk a little bit about how your original idea kind of evolved into what it became later yeah I I think that one of the things that's always hard about a film especially you know it's going to be say Sarah said we want it to be in the 90s somewhat minute range it's just what do you put in what do you take out and that was I mean, there's certain things we knew we wanted to, you know, we wanted to tell about the central experiments. We knew that was going to be in. We knew we wanted to touch on some of the big ethical issues. So there's some broad territory that you know you want to cover. But really, where you draw the boundaries, I mean, there's just infinite ways to draw boundaries between what you include and what you don't. So I think that what emerged, I mean, the, the general mission didn't change, but there was a lot of iterations about what was included. I mean, uh, Sarah mentioned Paul Berg. We had a a whole section on recombinant DNA that really came down considerably because we tested a lot of this with different audiences, especially general general audiences were a little confused by, well, is recombinant DNA CRISPR or not? And because of the nature of the storytelling, we'd have to start with that. So it was just creating issues that we went into ways, like we did a whole section that we shot on coral and the research in coral that didn't quite fit in. But at the same time, there were things that came relatively late, like David was relatively late in the process, we really knew we needed to personify this with a patient-doctor relationship, researcher relationship. And so we knew we wanted to push into that direction. And I think one of the things that we did as well, again, taking from our own background in science, is we did peer review this in different ways. We sent this out to reviewers to test different things. We played in front of a lot of different types of audiences, some filmmaking, some science, to really push us to sort of what was not clear, what where, where might we have taken liberties we shouldn't have taken with the story so so that was it was an ongoing process and again i think you know there was no real template for this i don't think this looks and feels like other films and so we were learning a lot about what could be done with graphics and how do you try to explain complicated science concepts without narration and and so those were things that we were constantly fine-tuning as well even though even when we felt we were close we had to go back and pick up some interviews and other things to fill in some of the gaps of, especially the science story, which we knew we wanted to explain again in the, in the voices of the scientists themselves. Yeah, and I think I'll just add real quick that Elliot touched on, you know, not having a narrator, which was a decision we made really early on, did make it a lot more challenging to create a storyline that really felt like it flowed and it felt like it was presenting the material in a really clear way. There's some key voices in the film who kind of really provide structure and helped us provide structure in the film, like Theodore Ernov, um, who's at the Innovative Genomics Institute at Berkeley, who's just a very dynamic person. 
and really help. And he's also actually somebody who worked on early forms of gene editing, which was another area that we weren't able to cover in the film. And I know a lot of scientists wish that we didn't touch on it, but it was, again, it was one of those things that became too confusing for audiences. And that really helped because we had no narrator, but we really wanted to make things as clear as possible that also ended up you know, factoring into some of the decisions about what we included and what we didn't. And the film, I mean, it's called Human Nature. It really is more focused on the human applications of CRISPR as opposed to the applications of CRISPR in the natural world, although we do touch on that and talk about it a little bit. And, you know, I think there's a lot there that we're still eager to, to cover in future projects because I think a lot of people are going to really start seeing CRISPR being used in agriculture and in other forms, probably on a more rapid timescale than they're going to be seeing in treatments and medicines for human beings. So that's an area to really watch for that we touch on in the film, but there, there's just so much there that we wish we could have included, but we just couldn't due to time and kind of the storytelling arc we wanted to have. And to add to that, I mean, one of the decisions also we had to consider was whether to make this a single film or a series. That was something we debated and talked about because you could easily make a series on this and touch on some of the issues that Sarah raised and we wish we could have time to go into depth. But we really wanted to make a work that could allow people to come together and watch it together and then talk about it. And so one of the things about a series, because there are many hours, many episodes, people invariably watch it, usually by themselves or with their family at home. And so we really wanted to say, okay, this is one story that you can sit down and watch and then talk about. And so that was one of the decisions we also had to make. And to that end, another thing we really wanted to achieve with the film was to not be telling viewers what to think. We wanted to present as many viewpoints as we could about different issues around using CRISPR technology. And so from the reviews, it sounds like we succeeded, but that was something that, you know, we really, really actively tried to do because we, you know, we wanted to to give kind of, the information and then let people really think about it and as Elliot said discuss it with their colleagues and their peers and their family and really to help facilitate public engagement around CRISPR and its uses. Maybe just to kind of follow on from that like you mentioned the film does cover a lot of different viewpoints and angles and doesn't really take any conclusive sides. What do you want people to, to take away from it? I mean I would say that I, I want people to feel that they have an on-ramp to information that the next time they come across an article or a discussion or something, and you're going to, I mean, you're going to see it. It's already everywhere. It's only going to grow. CRISPR is going to pop up gene editing in multiple different contexts. You know, it's going to affect the law. It's going to affect business. It's going to affect climate change, like everything. And so, I want people to feel that when they come across an article, that they can stop and read it and feel like they know something to begin to engage with this. That their antennae are up. That they're aware of this. So I think that's one big goal is that people feel that they have enough information that they can engage with more information and and learn more. And I think the other thing is that what we've been talking about is that people feel that they can add their own voice and engage in intelligent conversation around it with their peers, with their friends and family and public forums, and that this somehow can lead to a more informed and hopefully more respectful debate about to do with this powerful technology. And I, I agree with everything Elliot said. And then, you know, coming from the science world, I think a big thing that I hope people take away is just that scientists are a really diverse group of people who are all eager to 
figure out how the world works, apply it in ways that can help people. And I hope that, you know, the fact that they were really talking in their own voices really, like, I hope the film was a way to kind of showcase that often kind of the, the curiosity and the wonder and the sense of excitement around discovery are, are not things that people learn about when they're learning science and science can be kind of feel very factual and dry and it's just not for and everyone who ends up going in and working a lot kind of learn that eventually but I think a lot of people don't realize that so I hope that the film kind of provides a little window into the world of science and scientists. I would add perhaps a little selfishly I also hope people say wow we want more films like this we want more (laughs) science we want we would like to make the more films you know, where we really are telling stories of science in new, novel, and hopefully engaging ways. But we also hope that this inspires others and distributors and, you know, and filmmakers and funders and all of that to say, wow, science is someplace that we really can bring people together. And especially in this world, we're seeing right now you know, just the importance of science on so many levels that you know, hopefully there's more, more science, more high-quality science content being made in film. And video in particular so that's hopefully hopefully that's what people take away from it as well yeah that that would be definitely amazing we do need a lot more science films like this which clearly go into a topic in detail without making it seem like a science lesson so one of the things that i was curious about Elliot, you mentioned before about how producers have to keep asking before they get a yes and they often get a no before so just curious about what kind of roadblocks did you face in any of your, either for specific scenes or was there something in particular that was a big hurdle that you had to overcome? You know, I, I must say that and this, I think, is a testimony to several things, but primarily sort of the reputational legacy of iBiology, which Sarah comes, was running the organization and really has you know, done a lot of work with scientists. You know. and so I think the scientific community really bought into this early and we got incredible cooperation, incredible time from very busy people for long interviews, for follow-up questions, for all of that. So, you know, there were very few roadblocks there. I mean, I think one specific roadblock was we initially wanted to film in China and that proved very difficult. And this was before all of the, what came out later, but it, you know, I think it was a back and forth. I mean, it was going to be a hard thing for us to do anyway. It's very expensive and, and questions, but that was one one thing that we were working along throughout. And we figured in the end, we had enough of the diversity of the, of the subject matter covered and it was hard for us to get in and get an official yes to allow us to, to film there. So I think that was one bit of a roadblock. But I hope that you know our future efforts, and you know, there's so many more stories to tell that we'll, we'll tell it from China and I mean, it really is a global story, and I think that that's there's a lot of follow up to be done on this. So, right, yeah, that that totally makes sense. And I think that you know, as Elliot said, it was so great. I mean, a lot of these interviews that you see, kind of minutes from, were hours long, um, and the scientists and bioethicists and journalists and patients just gave us an unbelievable amount of time to the go. We filmed there, I think, from morning until late in the evening. I mean, it's just that was really so key to be able to tell this story and we don't take it for granted how much time people gave us and you know oftentimes we'd be filming in people's homes even and that also requires a lot of setup and effort so we're so grateful for that i think one interesting roadblock was not so much in the filming but just in whether distributors thought that there'd be an audience for a film like this 
which is, you know, why we really wanted to have a theatrical and get it out there and show that there really is an audience for science films like this. And of course, the theatrical got a little segue due to the coronavirus, but the film is still out there right now on video on demand. And we're still hoping to be able to show that people are interested in science films and there's a real audience for it to help pave the way for other science films to have distribution and a real backing from the filmmaking community who can make a lot of decisions about what's gets shown and what, what doesn't, that this is really an area that is, there just isn't much content there beyond, you know, maybe films about space, there's space about their space, there's evolution, but, you know, the real, you know, molecular biology, some of the stories just from other parts of the scientific community just aren't being told and, and we really want to be able to tell them. It would add that, you know, this is a, it's a real case where people in the industry look at what people are watching. And so if people do like this film, you know, if they recommend it to others, if more people watch it, that doesn't just benefit this film. That really is, is data that we can go and show that there's a market and an audience for science. And I, we believe there really is. We believe it's broad and deep and it touches across it across many, many different segments of pop, of the population, not only in the United States, but around the world. And so our hope is that this film reaches a, a variety of audiences and that they show their enthusiasm and that this leads to the more content like this being made, not not just by us, as I said, but but broadly, and that, that, that there could be a sort of a golden age of science filmmaking. We really hope, and we think it's very necessary, but we, we also think it's possible. So when people hopefully hear this and they watch the film and if they tell others to watch it, they're actually helping do their part in allowing us to, to make the case that, that there is a, a real demand and need for this kind of film. So, yeah, thinking about how you reach audiences and there was going to be, technically there was a, a premiere a few weeks ago and then the current situation with the coronavirus came into our world. Can you talk about where people can watch the movie now and perhaps in the future? Yeah, so thankfully, so although even though we, you know, we had a lot of theaters lined up in a lot of different cities and a lot of plans for question and answer engagements after the film. And, you know, with all of that being scrapped, we were fortunate to be in a position where our distribution company that was putting the film out for educational and community uses, uh, Roko Films, actually had the film ready to go on video on demand platforms, which we weren't actually going to release until September, um, until well after the premiere, sorry, the theatrical had run. But since we were ready to go, we just, you know, we wanted to get the film out there. It had gotten reviews because it was going to be in theaters and some publications like the New York Times, the Washington Post, the LA Times, Hollywood Reporter, Variety. Um, and the reviews are really great. We wanted people to be able to read the reviews and be able to see the film. And so right now it's available on iTunes, on Vimeo, Amazon, and Google Play for rental or purchase. And for people who are trying to teach their students remotely, it's also available on a platform called Film Platform, which is an educational movie platform that allows schools to sign up for licenses and then gives their students access. We're kind of creating discussion guides and we're hoping to kind of turn some of the effort we put into planning these Q&As around the theatrical screenings into an online engagement forum. So we're actively working on planning a bunch of those. And if people want to stay up to date on that, they should go to our website, thewondercollaborative.org. And there's a page for human nature there and we have a newsletter and We'll be sending out updates on kind of everything we're doing around the film and trying to keep that website as up to date as possible. I would add that we really do want, hopefully, when people can start coming together again, to create screenings for this with 
discussion panels all around the world. We've done many of these already, not just in the United States, but it's around, around the globe. And so on that same website, there's a place to sign up to host a screening. And we really want to make those very robust and an exciting part of this where people can come together in their communities. It could be at public libraries, universities, and you know, civic clubs, whatever, and watch this film, be paired with local experts, hopefully who can do Q&As around it. And so we really want that to be a big part of this, of our release for years to come, where people can just come and, and use this as a springboard for discussion within their own community. So again, on that on our website, at wondercollaborative.org, on the Human Nature page, you will find a way to, to sign up for that as well. And so we really hope that people can do that as this coronavirus situation hopefully sorts itself out at some point. We can really be in email contact with you and help you figure out how you can set up such a screening. Yeah. Yeah, we definitely love to be involved. Yeah. And thank you for sharing that. I highly encourage people to go and watch the movie either on video right now and screenings later, maybe both. So yeah, good luck for that. But one question that I definitely am very curious about is the name of the movie, because I know it's so hard to come up with names, although it sounds very simple once it's done. So can you talk a little bit about how you decided on this name? Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of debate and discussion around this. I mean, one of the questions was really, we put CRISPR in the name. We knew we wanted to tell a big story, and we really felt this question, well, human nature is at the heart of this. What is human nature going to lead to when it comes to this technology? But we'd also suggest a a division. What is human? What is natural? And it's really that's really in the eye of the beholder in many cases. It's not a firm line where that people define it differently. And we wanted to suggest something that the viewer can come in and sort of figure out for themselves where where they sort along that. And we present people across the spectrum of what how they feel that we should define what's human, what's natural, and how this technology fits into that that sense and perspective. So that was the thinking behind it. Just to wrap up here, and you know, thanks again for a really engaging interview. We really appreciate your time today, for both of you. But you talked a little bit about maybe using this as a springboard for maybe like a, a new generation of films, documentary films or programs that deal with science in a different type of way than we're used to seeing, which you know, I found, found very refreshing. Can you talk a little bit about what's maybe next for the Wonder Collaborative Group, what you're thinking about next? Go for it, Elliot. Okay. I mean, part of this is just obviously we're living in a world that's been turned upside down, obviously. And so there's real questions, near midterm questions about everything, you know, with the immediate health crisis being first and foremost in everybody's minds and concerns. So that's adjusted some of our immediate plans that we've discussed around releasing the film. So we're really trying to figure out ways to make this accessible and, you know, and figure out how it can be used in video teaching tools and all of that. I think more generally, you know, our hope is really to be a place of innovation where storytellers and scientists come together, learn from each other, and tackle all sorts of subject matters that people don't think could be films and show that they can be and show that they can engage audiences in, in different ways. And so I, the goal, I think, is to figure out what stories to tell, how to tell them, and then how to use those stories to build engagement with the public and with the scientific community. And I think that's one thing that's often missing when people talk about science communication. It's often there's a focus on the audience, but we really found with the scientists we work with here and we interviewed their views of what science communication really changed by being part of this process. I think they're evangelists in a way for saying they need to, to their peers, like we need to be thinking of science communication differently, that this film changed our view of it. And so 
We really hope to be a bridge between the public and the scientific community, recognizing the scientists themselves are parts of the general public. They're not a different species. And so really create sort of bonds of commonality and discussion and wonder and awe and, and using film, which I think is a really powerful medium to do that. Oh, you can see some of our shorter films that, you know, we just we put on YouTube on the website, wondercollaborative.org. And, you know, something just to add to what Elliot said, we're really eager to continue doing our own productions and also support other filmmakers who want to tell the stories of science. So just to put in a plug for a film that's going to be coming out soon called Picture of Scientists, which is about women in science and women's experience in science. I mean, it's a really hard story to tell, but we've, you know, it was a, a project we knew the filmmakers and really wanted to support from the beginning. So that's something else that we're kind of eager to do is to find people who want to make films about science and the scientific community in interesting ways, in compelling ways, and, and support them as well. Great. That sounds amazing. I'm looking forward to all of your future projects, especially about the women in science one. So good luck with human nature right now and all of your future projects. And thank you so much for joining us today. All of you were amazing and took time in this weird situation that we are now in. So thank you for that. Thanks for listening to CRISPR Cuts. I invite you to check out the Synthigo blog, The Bench, for more great CRISPR content. Please send us any feedback you have by contacting us on Twitter. And if you want to join in as a guest on our podcast, email us at crispercuts at synthigo.com. CRISPR Cuts is a scientific podcast by Synthigo. Produced by Kevin, Minu, and me, Bobby. Additional production by Resonate Recordings. Our cover art is by Jeff Merrick. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon. Thank you.